0: The way that we model the fostering of failure and experimentation and risk, the way we model it at the Brain Trust and Center for Agile Leadership, is we take failure bows on just about every staff call, meeting, and whatever. And anytime one of us tried something that didn't work, we physically bow. We say what we tried. It didn't work at all. It was a disaster. And everybody clapped. Thank you. you.
1: Celebrating failure. I love that. that.
0: And if a you fail behavior, you are building a culture of agility. If you're just yes. giving it lip service, no way.
2: Right. Wow. That's Talk
1: about a, a little one. bit more vulnerability there, Jeff. Oh, Amen I know, right? Yep. <laughs>
0: yep. And we love our failure bows. I can't tell you how exciting they get after. That. Like I'm I'm, I'm thinking, just me, do I get to do one? Do I get to do a failure bow? I want to do a failure bow. So
1: what's really cool about that is the main thing is you have to have tried something which means you're moving the company forward, you're moving yourself forward.
0: And at that point, after the failure bow, people can raise their hands and say, you know, I tried something like that, this worked. Or what if we combined what I tried with Cheryl combined oh, nice. it? And So it immediately creates the forward motion.
2: Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, brought to you by Carteveira the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're back today with episode 91, and our special guest is Ricky Schwartz. Ricky Schwartz is the president of the Center for Agile Leadership, and you got it. We're talking Agile Leadership today. The title is Agile Leadership, Tools and Mindsets to Enhance Your Leadership, Influence, and Culture. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to be not do Agile, but be an Agile leader and have that Agile mindset as a leader. We're going to talk about some key differences between leadership and management that I know is going to help you in your everyday leadership and people management skills. We're going to talk about how vital it is to focus on influence as a leader versus power and position. We're going to talk about, of course, trust, transparency, authenticity, relationship building, and vulnerability. And we're going to talk about something that I had never heard before, ways to build a culture of risk-taking, failure, and learning in something called failure bows. Get ready to have your mind expanded when it comes to leadership and to understand what does it look like to be an agile leader? We are back here for another leadership conversation. And I know this is going to be unique because we're talking about a new topic. We're going to be talking about agile leadership, and we've got just the right person for it. We have Ricky Schwartz with us. She is the president, a trainer, and a coach at the Center for Agile Leadership, which is a company that teaches leaders how to integrate the principles and tenets of agile philosophy into their leadership. Most of you are thinking, wait a minute, Agile, this is about technology and software. Think again, this is about leadership. Ricky joined the center in 2018 after spending 20 years in leadership training and development at a multi-billion dollar waste management company. She actually became familiar with the center back in 2016 when she went through one of their Agile leadership courses. And she was so excited to learn about how the leadership philosophies of Agile can be used and turned into techniques and outcomes. Now, Ricky is all about agile. And on top of that, she's also a life coach. She's a founder of My Turn Life Coaching, which has been a great extension for her to extend her passion to help people be better leaders. Here's what Craig and I love, personally and professionally. And add that, she's starting on March 10th, her own radio show called Transformation Talk Radio. Uh, I'm looking forward to being one of her early guests. And her show is called My Turn Life Coaching with Ricky Schwartz, Reclaim Your Life. So, welcome, Ricky.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, guys. Yeah, welcome. Thank you.
2: So, Ricky, uh, tell us a little bit of the, the Ricky story.
0: So, my kind of my favorite part of this journey is the element where I, I've been in a leadership position for so many years. And every year they offered us, the company I worked for was very generous about training and development, thank goodness. And so I found online this this Center for Agile Leadership, and I thought, I, I've never seen anything like this. I want to go take this course. It was a two-day course. Obviously, I loved it. I loved the staff there. I loved the content. I loved the intent of the training. I loved the purpose of it. And it kind of was very self-affirming because I thought, this is how I already think but the course taught me how to, how to apply it. So it was very exciting. I got back from that training like on fire, right? <laughs> I really was. And, uh, and it changed in some ways how I was doing things, how I was leading. I, I began to stress more about core values and my leadership approach and so forth. So it kind of went on from there. And then in 2018, Uh, this very large billion dollar company that was going to be my future said, no, we're not. (laughs) (laughs) And they downsized uh, me and, and several of my colleagues. It was pretty devastating. It was unexpected. Everybody says the same thing. So I thought, well, I don't need to be in the garbage industry. That was never what drove me. What drove me was leading 42 people, particularly remotely. They all had virtual offices. And I thought, whatever I do, whatever industry I go into, it has to involve leadership and it has to involve the, the concept of virtual working. And then I thought, well, who taught me so much about that? It was the Center for Agile Leadership. So I don't know if they'll remember me. I'm just a girl looking for a gig now. So I called Brian Rabin, who's the CEO. And I said, you're not going to remember me. I took your course like three years ago, but I'm at a crossroads and I'm wondering if you have any openings for trainers. And he said, well, I do remember you. In fact, my whole staff remembers you, which could be good or bad. I'm not even interpreting that. I don't want to know how or why. I really don't. Um, He said, and we all said that in some way or another, you would be back, which again is freaky. Um, And he said, and I have been trying to run my parent company, the Brain Trust Consulting Group and the Center for Agile Leadership on my own. And it's too much. So how would you feel about becoming the president of the Center for Agile Leadership and also a trainer and also a coach? Sweet. And I, 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 okay, so I did. And that's, that's how that journey started. Talk about being willing to pivot and allowing for things that are completely unforeseen.
1: <laughs> that's great. And putting yourself out there.
0: Yeah, so much for that. That was scary, but I'm glad I did. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
2: Well, uh, Ricky, let's jump right into the. I'm sure a lot of people's question. I know it was mine when we first met. What the hell does Agile have to do with leadership?
0: <laughs> ah, that's a great question. For those like like Craig mentioned, who are familiar with Agile, they always think of it in the the software industry or the software engineering industry or the software development industry. And Agile as a concept did begin in that industry for sure. It started way back in 2001. A bunch of people got together who were in the software industry and said, look, the world has changed. Think about 2001 and it, right? The world was going a little nuts. Mm. The world has changed and we're not responding to customer needs quickly enough. We need a whole different way of doing things. And they created what's called the agile manifesto
1: <laughs>
0: or that has core values that has tenets and principles. And It evolved into what are called agile methodologies. So what the IT industry does is they use these methodologies like Scrum or Kanban or Crystal. It's a whole bunch of them. And and they have a whole new way of managing projects. So Brian and the Brain Trust Consulting Group taught those methodologies for like 10 years. And then he realized, you know what? The principles and the tenets that led to these methodologies, the principles and the tenets in that manifesto, they're excellent For good leadership in any industry. He said, why are we limiting all of this amazingly successful management stuff to the IT industry? Why are we limiting it to this methodology or that methodology? It doesn't really matter from a leadership perspective. These core values and these tenets make better leaders. So he created the Center for Agile Leadership and he took the basis of Agile in the IT industry and expanded it to be leaders anywhere.
1: That's So cool. I used Kanban. Kanban is such a a great little tool.
0: Fabulous. Fabulous. We use, uh, on a a layman's perspective, we use a task board, which is essentially the Kanban component. And task boards are amazing. Trello is the one I use because you can have it online and it has the backlog to do, it has the doing, and it has the done. So at its very basic level, it echoes Agile. Why? Because we put one of those electronic task boards up and we have what are called self-managing, self-organizing teams. They pull down the tasks that need to be done. Right. Everything we're going to talk about today is eliminating that whole command and control element of old leadership mm-hmm. and talking about self-organizing, self-managing teams of new agile leadership.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. The combine. So I'm using Asana, which is a project management tool that, that also
0: to has Trello. the card old Trello, I think. Go ahead. Yeah. So
2: it's effective. Very effective. So let me ask, because I'm the one that's least familiar with agile and function. So my question is this, when I hear you talk about task boards, I start to go, oh, so this is just about leading projects. Mm -hmm. So is it about leading projects or is it about leadership beyond a particular project?
0: That's a great question. So when you're talking about leading projects, I would refer to that as doing agile. You're going to be doing things in an agile way. Kanban boards or task boards is one thing. Scrum is another process. Crystal's another process. All of those are processes for managing projects. You are correct. Leaders are not necessarily managers. So if you branch out beyond the word manager and you get to the word leader, leaders shouldn't really be managing projects. Leaders right. should be being agile. In other words, they Correct. should have the agile mindset, which certainly facilitates the doing of agile for their team members. If not, the team members would keep getting stuck because their leader wasn't complying with the, the necessary mindset. But yes, leadership itself is a mindset that enables the individual management processes.
2: Got So, so Let's keep going in down this. So one of the things I've said, and I, I just love to have your reaction to it, especially in the context of agile leadership. A phrase I use regularly is you don't leader, you don't lead projects, you lead people. Yeah. yeah. You manage projects, but you lead people. And I think often people think, no, I'm leading this project. So I know it's an oversimplification, but how does that relate or fit or not with this idea of agile leadership?
0: I think it's actually perfectly stated. I would say that for the most part, if you're in a leadership position, so that could be a director, middle management, senior leadership. If you're in a leadership position, our position, no pun intended, would be to steer away from managing people or projects. You shouldn't have your hands down in there. That's why these folks are empowered. They're engaged. They're self-monitoring. They're self-organizing. What we want you to do is lead from way higher above to facilitate all of those management practices. So we don't manage people, we lead them. We don't manage projects, we lead the people who are managing the projects.
2: So um, this is great. So one of the things Craig and I talk about a lot is the way that we often look at leadership as positional. Mm -hmm. And a little bit, it sounds like that's how you're describing it. Because for example, I believe managers, can show up as leaders, forget about whether they have a title of leadership. So how does that fit, this idea of positional leadership versus, um, I guess someone just recently said, the verb of leadership?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, The person who is expert in the answer to that is Simon Sinek. He can talk forever about how leadership has nothing to do with rank, and I could not agree more. His point in in his videos and his books is rank has nothing to do with leadership. It's a decision to lead. Anybody absolutely. can lead. That goes without saying. In our courses at Center for Agile Leadership, we want to get anybody who wants to quote lead in that agile leadership mindset. So absolutely, we don't we don't manage things, we lead them, but that doesn't mean only people in senior leadership will be doing the leading. You can have somebody in the field decide, particularly if the leader isn't leading particularly effectively. Simon Sinek says, "Make the decision to lead." I, some people call it managing up. I don't love that expression, but make mm-hmm. the decision to be the one who influences. Yeah. And that's what brings me to you, made me think of another point, which is there's two kinds of power. There's positional power. You talked about that. And there's the power of influence. The right. best leaders use the power of influence because influence is about persuading. It's not about forcing. If somebody leaves a company and they had a positional power, all that's gone. If they had influential power, People continue to use those concepts and and follow them even after they're gone. But in order to have influential power, you need to really work hard and long. Doesn't happen overnight. Certainly nothing to do with your title. It has to do with the connection that's required for influence. It has to do with um, trust, transparency, authenticity. All the things that establish relationship is how you get this influential power. Way different than positional power.
2: So it'd be easy for me, since I'm not an Agile guy, and not technically, not trained in it, not experienced in it, what you're talking about, I'm going, wait a minute, how is this Agile? Because I have no familiarity with Agile, but this sounds like what leadership is to me. How Can you put, tie together these foundations of Agile and calling it Agile leadership for
0: us? Yeah. So I would say... Like anything else conceptual, there's going to be overlap. There's going to be Rosetta Stone language that's going to overlap, of course. So I would say that um, the concept you're already used to, Jeff, because I know you well enough to know that you already practice this, is the concept of servant leadership. Uh, It's not a new concept. It's certainly not exclusively an agile concept. But if I were going to pick one thing where we want the mindset to switch, It's going to be from command and control to servant leadership, meaning clearing the way for the folks who you are leading to be able to do what they need to do. Yes. That Mm -hmm. is the tie in for me. If I'm going to pick what I know about you and other people who might not be familiar with agile, but have been practicing it without knowing it, that Mm -hmm. would be the tie in. Remember, I said when I when I attended the training, I thought, this is resonating with me because I'm already, quote, a servant leadership. I didn't even know that's what it was called, but that's <laughs> how I was thinking. So I was already kind of an agile leader. I just didn't know it.
2: So you use the word a couple of times, being an agile leader. And yeah. I know you emphasize that word being. Tell us more about what you mean when you're going into that concept of being as a leader.
0: So the reason we have a whole class called doing and not being agile, that's how important it is to us. So the reason that we focus so much on it is that when people hear Agile, they automatically go to the methodology. They automatically think Agile, Scrum. It's a fr- Most people in IT, if you say Agile, they think Scrum. If you say Agile, they think Kanban. And mm-hmm. that is the processes of doing Agile.
1: The tools. The tools.
0: Those mm-hmm. tools are very prescriptive. I mean, literally, step one, step three, you have a stand-up, da-da-da-da, you follow a prescription. So ironically, those who do agile very well, don't always have the agile mindset of being able to pivot, to change the process, to change what you're thinking and doing. The mindset almost runs counter to the methodology itself. And that's why we're very explicit in our training. Are you just doing agile or are you being agile? (laughs) (laughs) It's tricky, right? It's tricky. No, that
1: makes sense. I mean, I no. want to be an agile leader. I want to be, I want to be able to to pivot and and move
2: and change and be flexible.
0: Ex- exactly. And that's that's really one of the four cornerstones. Inspect and adapt is one of them. Excellent.
2: So if you look at um, let's talk about that idea of pivoting. I'm not I'm not a big fan of the word only because I think it's overused during the Since
0: the pandemic, it blew up. We <laughs> yeah, never even heard up. that word before the pandemic. Now I'm feeling like they stole something from me. Go ahead.
2: Well, they did. And and my other Bias against pivot is my only context for it is in basketball, yep. which is where I learned it. Which means I can turn a new direction, but it doesn't mean I can actually move in that direction. Yep. because actually, if I'm pivoting in basketball, I'm just going in circles. But you can take one step from there.
0: Yes, you could. I, and is that it's, so? You're um, pivot is turn around. Pivot yeah. can also be turn right or turn left. Right. Just, as a clarification.
2: So my question is, how is this for leaders? I mean, I, I would say that I'm a. Very adaptable leader and agile in that way, but I could see there being a curse in it, in the sense if you you start constantly adapting and you constantly change direction, maybe without always purpose and understanding, you can end up, frankly, going in circles or going down and di- too many different roads without staying. So, speak more to that question. Not what? overagiling it, I guess.
0: No. No, I would say that's a common concern. And this is when I usually run into it. So if I'm teaching my class and I explain that one of the four cornerstones of agile is inspecting and adapting. And if you're really, done, you need to be able to encourage experimentation, encourage risk, and yes. I can start to see them. <laughs> and then I always say fail fast or fail forward. That's a yes. really agile expression. Fail fast or fail forward. Well, the- the the leaders in the class start to get very, very physically uncomfortable because they're not sure they want to encourage their folks to be experimenting and risking all day long. So that's why we say fail forward, meaning let's have enough data to know that it's a viable risk. Do some due diligence. Don't go insane and then fail fast, which is we don't want to waste a lot of time. But the minute it doesn't work, look how much you've learned. You know that, Jeff, right? The minute something doesn't work, you're halfway to getting to something that does. If you don't constantly do that failing forward and failing fast, you will get stuck. So is it a risk where you end up possibly wasting time doing too much experimentation? I would say the payoff is worth it. I I mean, it it comes back
1: to innovation. You don't have innovation without some experimentation.
0: exactly.
1: Unless you're hiring new people that have a different perspective altogether. Exactly. And so Jeff, one of the things that, well, one of the things that Jeff and I talk about is, the, the whole issue of if you don't have that experimentation, okay, that's one thing, but then are you actually learning from what happens? And so, correct me if I'm wrong, Ricky, but it seems like the agile process has the learning component built into there so that you can infer what's happened and move on forward.
0: And that's why we call it failing forward. Gotcha. Okay, if you just fail, nobody wins, right? But yeah. every piece of the failure is gonna project you forward. And, and I, I would say that that's probably the most unnatural element. And I know that because people who do think they're agile leaders, people who do think they understand the process, they're not really fostering experimentation and risk. They're not really. Right. Because it makes them nervous. It makes them uncomfortable. And then the pandemic hit. And you could, the rubber hit the road because the truly agile leaders and companies have thrived. And the ones who weren't used to making those dramatic, I don't know what I'm earth I'm going to do shifts, froze, they were paralyzed, and some of them have not have not proceeded forward. They haven't been able to survive. So we call this being in a VUCA world, right? Uh, volatile. Always forget the what it is, but because it's important. One moment, please. You can edit this, Craig. Um, i Really want to get this right, because it's so appropriate. Always forget the darn. Okay. One moment, guys. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. If VUCA doesn't describe the pandemic environment right now, seriously, nothing does. And that's why we're really having a push to peep, to get people to understand if you aren't going into a VUCA environment with, a, with an agile mindset, chances of you surviving right now are very small.
1: Wow, interesting. Hmm.
2: That is interesting. You, you just flashed me back to about I don't know, probably four or five years ago, I was off to do a, I do many of these a year, a men's retreat, and I was on one of the leadership roles, and we get on, we're driving there, and it's in southern Indiana, and about an hour, two hours before we're due there, we get a phone call that says, change direction, (laughs) go to Louisville, Kentucky instead, the camp we go to is flooded, we cannot get down the road. And we don't know what we're going to do. So we get to the Louisville, we sit around, we meet everybody and we do something called a check-in. And the decision is made that we're not going to use this site, which they've used this site for years. Everybody knows how to do it there. (laughs) We decide we're going to do it in this building that we're sitting in, that if you first thought you're going, there's no way. (laughs) So the leader, we do a check-in and everybody goes around and 98% 98% of the people were checking in with some version of fear, 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 fear. Yep, 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 yep. Gets to me, and I checked in as giddy, <laughs> which is happy, and, I, and I'm and i going to just use my language. I quote myself. I looked at the leader. By the way, it was his first full lead of these things, and he's doing, dealing with this, and I looked at him. His name was Steve, and I said, Steve, I'm happy, man. Because I love chaos and (laughs) your fucking plan just went out the window, which means we can create this from scratch and nobody can say, this is how we've always done it. It's never been. I thought that was exciting, but I also know there's a risk that if you thrive in chaos, as someone has pointed out, it sometimes causes me to allow chaos because I'm okay with it, but maybe not everybody is, Mm -hmm. or I might actually create chaos Mm -hmm. because I like that, but what's the impact on everybody else? So it was a huge lesson in self-awareness, but also what's the impact of my way of doing it.
0: And that actually brings up a great point, which is of the leadership mindsets. I think this one requires more, as you just said, self-awareness than anything else on the planet. I would say that in order to avoid some of the pitfalls of agile, because there are them, turning pivoting too often, not doing due diligence, having chaos, having people uncomfortable, having people leave because they can't handle the the environment, that situational awareness, cultural awareness, and self awareness are more key to agile leadership than I think any other kind. Hmm. Hmm.
2: So, so <clears throat> one of the questions I have about this agile mindset uh, and what it means for folks, you talked about this idea of taking risks. I'm curious (coughs) from your work, what do you find is really getting in the way for leaders to create that? Because what I've found, there's this, this disconnect. Almost every leader I've ever met will tell you they've learned the most from their failures in life. So they technically believe in it, but then they don't create that culture. Yep, yep. So what's the disconnect?
0: Modeling, and the way that we model the fostering of failure and experimentation and risk—the way we model it at the Brain Trust and Center for Agile Leadership—is we take failure bows on just about every staff call, meeting, and whatever. And anytime one of us tried something that didn't work, we physically bow. We say, oh, I "Love that." What we tried. It didn't work at all. It was a disaster, and everybody clapped. Thank you, it's thank you.
1: Celebrating God. failure. I, oh, love I love that. Failure. And if a you fail your that
0: behavior, you are building a culture of agility. If you're just yes. giving it lip service, no way.
1: That's right. Wow. That's Talk about a, a little one. bit more vulnerability there, Jeff. Oh, Amen. I
0: know,
2: right? Yep. <laughs>
0: yep. And we love our failure bows. I can't tell you how exciting they get after. That. Like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, just meeting, do I get to do one? Do I get to do a failure bow? I want to do a failure bow. So
1: what's really cool about that is the main thing is you have to have tried something, which means you're moving the company forward. You're moving yourself forward.
0: And at that point, after the failure bow, people can raise their hands and say, you know, I tried something like that. This worked. Or what if we combined what I tried with Cheryl combined? And oh, nice. so it immediately creates the forward motion. The failure and the learning,
1: awesome. And what about? Um, in those check-ins are you doing that for the failure bowels is that just work related things or could you also say man you know i did this thing at home i did this thing
0: you know i this- i don't think we ever have
1: <laughs> but
0: we're such a we're such a, a transparent group that it, it wouldn't offend any of us if we did we such a to-
1: boneheaded father this is what i did last night
0: yeah i mean you
2: know
0: it's <laughs> we, so hard to use a number of connections particularly because we're a virtual company a number of things that are segue questions at the beginning. What? Well, what's your favorite this? What do you hate that other people loved? We always start the meetings with those. So we're always trying to establish a fairly personal connection. This would just be part of that.
2: Awesome. Wow, I love it. So I'm curious. When you do the failure bow, do you also ask people to share what they learned from it? If they have it or if they have learned something thus far?
0: I would say we don't ask it, but organically, certainly we get responses of that nature. If you ask it, you tend to create a contrived environment, right? But people are always like, that makes me think of this. So we get that a lot, but we don't ask for it.
2: It's interesting because we were just earlier today on a podcast and I was sharing, and Craig alluded to it a moment ago. I have this belief that most people don't actually learn from their experiences because they think the experience enough is what they learn from. I think learning is much more intentional and thoughtful And an example of that is I was in a mastermind for years and we had, we changed our process over the years. And at one point the goal was when you came in, you were supposed to share an experience you had in the last 30 days, but more importantly, what did you learn from the experience? Good. But it didn't work well. (laughs) It took months and months of us pushing back and literally people would get up and they would tell the story and say, well, hang on. That was a nice story. What did you learn? Well, I just told you. No, you didn't. You just told us the story. Yep. You told us what the experience was like for you, but what did you actually learn and take away from it? Mm-hmm. And it was, these are smart people, brilliant people who I started to realize people just think if you tell the story or you live the story, you learn something. And I don't think that's true.
0: I agree. I I, I really, when I was describing it, I did leave out a key component that I've noticed I'm not going to say 100% of the time, Jeff, but I'm going to say about 95% of the time. The person taking the failure bow, does he or she, him or herself say, this is what I learned? So while we don't solicit it from the, if you will, audience, it is part of the failure bow process. Yes.
2: Hmm. So you've talked about vulnerability as part of this. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Talk about how you see vulnerability because in leadership, especially, because I think it's one of the most misunderstood and confusing concepts, which one of the reasons it's so scary yeah. because it is misunderstood. Agreed.
0: Um, so there's some cultural biases against vulnerability in general, more mm-hmm. for men, but also for women. So I think we start there. We started a place where we are told from a fairly young age that either you're going to be uh, an injured animal that's going to get eaten if you show vulnerability, or you're going to look unappealing to the general populace. Vulnerability denotes weakness on both of those cases and both of those cases, and nobody ever wants to appear weak. So we start, what age? Age six, seven? I don't know. I mean, don't cry. Don't, you know, be a big girl. Be a big boy. Don't cry. Don't make a fuss. I'll give you something to cry about, blah, 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 blah. So all of that vulnerability is kind of pressed down and discouraged. Now, when we're talking about agile leaders, like I said, they're coming from a place of a power, the power of influence. They're not coming from a place of the power of position. In, in, in my humble opinion, and I would believe in most agilist mind, you cannot possibly influence without making a personal connection. And you cannot possibly make a personal connection unless you are a human being. And you're willing to show people what that human being is. It's a personal connection. So that vulnerability, while I would say it doesn't come naturally, is I think the number one most important thing to being an effective influencer, to being an effective agile leader. It is going to be what connects you with other people mostly because it tells those other people, you don't have to be perfect either. Leaders don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. I'm scared over here. I would love if you help me with this. You're scared with that. I would love to help you with that. So, the collaborative spirit that comes along with agile versus command and control, the collaboration that goes along with an agile mindset cannot possibly happen if you're not willing to share what you need to collaborate on, if you're not willing to share what you don't know everything about, or what scares you, or what intimidates you. Those are the connections that allow for good leadership. And, and I want to put good in quotes because to me, and I mentioned it earlier, I'm really talking about sustainable leadership. Yeah. Positional power will get you what you need done in the short term. Either you do this to me, Joe, or you're fired. Joe will probably do what you want. But yeah. in the long run, if you leave, Joe isn't going to be interested in doing that anymore. And chances are, moreover, that Joe's going to leave. So when I say good leadership, I'm talking about sustainable leadership. Leadership that is going to start slow and endure. So what you're talking
1: about is you're talking about the long game. And here's, I always like to shift positions. So we talk about business. Let's talk about agile parenting, because if you take the same concepts back to the parenting, imagine kid comes home from school. We're talking about what's going on. Hey, it's time for your failure bout. What did you fail at today? Right. And the kid gets comfortable with talking about that kind of stuff. Wow. I learned something new. Wow. I tried this. Oh, my gosh, what a, what kind of a different child are you going to
0: have? Yes, I would say the, the tricky fine line that you're going to walk there, Craig, is that parents make mistakes when they were the kid's age. Oftentimes, those mistakes involve things that are illicit, things that are not healthy, things that are not safe. It's every parent's decision to decide just how vulnerable they want to be under that situation, because it is a tendency of the teenage mind in particular to say, well, if you do it, did it, why can't I? They, their brains are not fully developed like they are the adults you have in your workplace. So it can't come quite as naturally in the parenting environment as I would argue it can in the professional environment. Does that I,
1: I, I- I'll I'll disagree a little bit on that one. Just from personal experience, when my boys came of age, you know, I shared with them a story about some of the mistakes that I made in relationships growing up, and they really took that to heart oh. and did not go down the same path.
0: Good. That's good. I, I mean, I don't have children, so I'm really speaking um, from um, a <laughs> speculative position, yeah. uh, but I know that my friends have a lot of them smoke pot in college, and they really struggle. Do I admit to myself? This is before it was legal. Do I admit to my son or daughter that I smoke pot? Are they going to use that as an excuse? So, those are things I've heard, but I've never experienced it. So, thanks, Craig.
2: Well, but I also think, you know, there's a question here. Uh, if we're talking about kids, about their level, because you said it's so much about self awareness. And a lot of kids and teenagers aren't, they're not developed to have that yet. And forget about the some of those bad things, so called errors. I could certainly see it backfiring with kids because of the lack of self awareness to say, hey, Uh, I failed my math test today. Give me some applause, because that's not about taking risks. Because that's understanding. It's about what risks did we take? Yeah. You know, like I spoke up in class. I didn't like what the teacher was saying, and they thought I was being, um, you know, disruptive. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was important. Those kinds of things, because that's what we're looking at leadership. Yes. You know, we don't in in the workplace. I guess as I'm saying this out loud, it's the same thing. We don't want someone to come into the group and say, hey, I completely missed the deadline. I failed to support the whole team. And I made so many major errors. We just lost a huge client. Come on, help me out here. I I would
0: say, and and I've heard that from other students and I should have thought of that as we were speaking. (laughs) When we say to fail fast and fail forward, it's not to fail at what you were assigned to do. It's you failed at something that nobody asked you to do and you were just trying something new. (laughs) That's where your bows come in.
1: Or in the context of, I'm trying to get this particular project done, I tried this as a solution to get this done, and I tried this as a solution, exactly. and one of those failed. But because of that, I had to find another way to get that done.
0: Yes, exactly correct. I think that is a very important distinction because, you know, human beings in general, probably kids more than adults, but in general, we will find any excuse to use what we've learned against the person who taught it to us. Right. <laughs> so that we want to watch out for that. Yep.
2: Well, there's it's interesting. You said you talked about the resistance to vulnerability, but also this deep-seated resistance to failure. I think it's a, I think, man, I'm just feeling like this has to be such an ongoing conversation. I'm thinking back to a small group I was a part of a few years ago in Cleveland. We got together and said we want to put together a small amount of money we're going to put the word out. We're going to ask micro businesses to come to us who want some money that we can help them with. And one of our mission statements is to invest quickly and fail often. Because what we realize is in the culture and the business community, it's all about picking the winner and you're not going to go with any risk and you're always going to try and minimize your failure. So 10 or 12 of us got together and, and all 10 or 12 of us thought, this is awesome. The 13th person who was part of the conversation kept saying, you're, you're really going to try and fail on purpose. I said, not intentionally fail, but super wide open to failure. And he, he was a big money guy. He worked for a big private investment company. He said, we can't make mistakes. I said, but you make them all the time. (laughs) And what was cool about that while learning was to see how there was resistance, but the outcome was, I think we put money in about seven or eight things. Perfect. And all but one of them failed, yeah. <laughs> but it was a success because they're still around even today. Yes. Yeah. And we saw how they got an opportunity to create something. If we had got tried try to get it perfect, maybe we invest in three of them.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's just, that's the, the same principle applies, whether you're talking about money investments, time investments, it's all investments that are going to take resources, whatever that resource is. And the leader has to not only allow it. They have to encourage it that's what i mean by modeling there's a big difference
1: let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors the leadership junkies podcast is brought to you by cartevera cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training coaching resources events and a community to help you grow at Cardavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you that your company is limited by your growth we blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at Cardavera.com. Welcome back. Look back at Andrew Carnegie. He says, put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket. Watch. On the other hand, what we're talking about here is let's have lots of baskets. Let's let's put an egg here, an egg there, and the other egg over there. Yep. And let's see which ones the, the Fox doesn't take, right? And I
0: and I would say his era is showing in that quote. Yeah. I would oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, there,
1: traditional
0: management worked so well during the Industrial Revolution because it was just pieces going down an assembly line. You do the yeah. same thing every single day. Nobody's going to be innovative. You're not going to move it a different way. You're going to do it. So the, the industrial revolution led way to the I.T. revolution eventually. And that's where we needed to have the agile environment because it changed so fast. It would be like if Henry Ford kept changing the assembly line every day. Oh, my gosh. You would, if he didn't have a way of handling that, everything right. would have fallen down. You mentioned, mm-hmm. by the way, failure, Jeff. And one of my podcasts, which you are episode 39 and episode 41. Thank you again. <laughs> the name of the podcast is Becoming a True Agile Leader. And one of my favorite guests besides yourself, Jeff, was I think her name was Celine. I hope I'm getting the name right. I have so many uh, podcasts that I could be confusing things, but I think her name was Celine Williams. And she talked about the word failure, its negative connotation, its benefits, and how it has stepped up tremendously since the pandemic because so many people lost their jobs. So many people lost their livelihood. So many people lost their understanding of how to parent, how to send kids to school, how to teach Everything became a feeling, a feeling of failure because it was thrust at us. Whenever we lose control over everything, it feels like we failed. That's the feeling. Uh And I remember that's why I interviewed her, because it was shortly after the pandemic began. And she really put failure into an entirely different context, both on a professional level and a personal level. I wish I would have known her when I was downsized at the big (laughs) company, because I did. No matter how many times people told me I didn't fail, you feel like you failed. But look, her point would be, what door did that open? What was supposed to happen on the other side? So it's a very inspiring podcast.
2: So I'm really curious about something, Ricky, particularly with the people that go through your courses, but even more importantly, their team members. So I'm very aware, I'm pretty self-aware on this, that how I see the world is not how everyone sees it. And I tend to thrive in chaos. So chaos can be happening. And as I said earlier, I might allow it because I'm, this is good, but everybody else is having the impact. What are people finding about what they need to do to get their teams on board with this different way? And are people pretty receptive to it once they understand it?
0: I'll take both of those parts separately. Um, one of our most popular courses is called Becoming a True Agile Culture. Because you're right, Jeff, if you just have a handful of people, whether they're field, whether they're middle management, whether they're senior leadership. If you only have a small collection that are completely devoted to agile, you're not going to create an agile culture. First of all, you can never change the culture. We really stress that a lot. We're going to go back to my word of influence. And five people cannot influence the culture of an entire organization. So first of all, we make sure that they understand there are change management steps that go along with changing a culture. That's one of the modules in their class. There's a module about how do you get your champions and your megaphone experts, the people who will ally with you and are going to be very powerful out in the organization because they have that influential power, They have that charisma, they have that influence naturally. So there's a million different things you can do as an agile leader, well, maybe not a million, but we have several modules in the culture class that says, this is how you're going to influence the change, not just within your little group. And what I would also say is that um, It 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 boils down to my attempt to get multiple levels of leadership in each class, because if it were only the Jeffs, you think you know exactly how everybody else feels about the chaotic environment. You may think they hate it. You may think they love it. Oftentimes, we get these multiple leadership levels in, and the senior leader will say, this is how it is at the organization. And given a Las Vegas mentality, which we really try to to, to encourage, I look at the people in the field, I look at the middle managers and I say, raise your hand if that's what you think too. And vice versa, the middle managers or the field people will say, this is how it is. And the senior leadership will go, no, it's not. So unless you include all of the leadership levels in these courses, you're always going to have that silo. You're always going to have that vacuumed position and viewpoint. So I really encourage, and our classes have hours of interaction, of breakout rooms, of discussing each one of these topics until they are debriefed. And that's when they really learn what's going on at that organization.
1: Let me say, just from the outside, so having not worked in an agile environment like that, but having heard about several different ones, and I'll share in a little bit, um, what it doesn't seem like, Jeff, is from the outside. It may seem like there's a lot of chaos going on. Internally, there's a lot of activity, but it's it's organized chaos. It's I, I would say it's not really chaos. There, people know what needs to happen, and it's probably more more focused than mm-hmm. a traditional environment.
0: See, that's why I'd love both of you in a breakout room together, and this would be a fifteen minute conversation. <laughs> That's exactly what we try to foster over and over and over again. Jeff, I believe you may, based on what I've just heard, um, be underestimating the amount of order that's actually being applied in your organization. So this is exactly why at the end of this conversation, we will have moved a step forward in class toward having a unified culture that everybody can invest in.
1: It's a great point. I think one of the reasons I actually went back to business school, is I saw an article in Fast Company about what was happening here in durham at the ge aircraft engine plant and they had moved to a self-organized team and the outcome was that the folks that were building the engines here had about four errors on average Mm -hmm. whereas the norm was about 125 Mm -hmm. 125 you had functional issues the issues that they were having here in the Durham plant were things like a scratch on the paint Mm -hmm. and And just thinking that it could get done that way. And their output was greater and it was self-managed rather than top down enforced, you know, it's like, wow, I want to learn this stuff.
0: And do you know why I think that is, there's probably a million different reasons, but I think the primary reason is when you have self-organized self-managing teams, the individuals are motivated, um, not by a carrot and a stick, but by internal motivation.
1: Yes. They're so
0: engaged. They are so empowered. Again, part of having self-organized, self-managing teams, they don't care how long it takes. They don't care what events they miss. They are so inspired by what they can do on their own that they put 1,000% into it. Compare that to somebody who says, have this done by Tuesday. Right. You know, I mean, you not probably do a buy-in. good job, but uh, I would say that the 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 huge difference there is having team members that are engaged empowered and inspired
1: wow i would love to actually see that environment firsthand and and, and actually experience it from you know working that it's magic sounds fascinating
0: truly magical and i've yeah. seen it in 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 my um discussions with folks in class i've seen it in some of the videos one of my favorite videos that we show is the tennessee department of transportation and they're a government agency. Think about the compliance that goes <laughs> along with that, right? So when I wasn't there at the time, but when Bray Trust first met with them, they said, This is the agile environment. And they went, There's no way. <laughs> we are a government agency. And by the end of the process, by the end of their journey, they were more agile, I would say, than any other company I have ever seen. And wow. they bought into it so completely that now they do spokesperson things for us because nobody says it better than a convert. That's I fantastic.
2: Know. Yep. Well, I, I want to go back to the second part of that question. And I, I hear what you're saying. And actually for me, I'm not suggesting that agile is chaos. What I'm saying is my personality is, yeah. cha- is yeah. chaos right. oriented. Yeah. So for example, as Craig knows that that podcast I told you about, about a word, uh, The guy has been doing this podcast for a year about a word, and I'm the first person who said, you're not going to tell me the word ahead of time, right? And he goes, no, everybody wants to know the word, because no one wants to take the risk of not knowing. I go, what are you, crazy? Apparently, I was like the first of 70 who said, don't tell me. So I'm saying, and you said earlier, Ricky, people love that comfort of knowing yeah. And so, and they get, when you start saying, oh my God, we're not going to have the, we're not going to go step-by-step step this way. We've done it. Mm-hmm. How, how effective have you found the process to get them engaged and open to that?
0: Gotcha. And I, and now I remember that was your second question. I would say my answer to that, because I get that question from students a lot. I might buy into it, but Joe's never going to buy into it. I might buy into it, but my boss is never going to buy into it. And my answer is generally that success begets success. So we always tell them to start small, whatever the smallest example of an agile mindset is that you, can, that you can display and then brag the heck out of it. And people like to hear success stories, particularly when they're struggling with the same issues. So we have them come up with a very small agile pilot, whatever that may be. They work the heck out of it. They put themselves, the ones who are already on board, they put themselves in those vulnerable places, they take the risk, they do the experimentation, And at the end, maybe not in a week or a month or six months, but at the end, now they are the influencers. Now they go out to the 'er ne'er-do-wells, to the people resisting it, and say, look, we weren't sure it would work either, but here's where we started, here's where we were having problems, and here's where we are now. Mm. Nothing influences more than successful stories. Nothing.
1: I'll I'll tell you, though, one of the things to really be cautious about in any kind of a change, you know, any kind of transformation process Is if you started down that path, everybody gets the training, they go into there, you got this one manager that's just not really seeing it for what it is. Somebody comes back, hey, you know, I failed. What do you mean you failed? You know, beat them up, right? And they're like, okay, um, maybe you didn't get the memo. So they do it again. And, you know, they get beaten down pretty soon. That whole thing fails.
0: So what I would say is that we want to speak to people in a language that will not make them anxious. So if I had a manager or a leader that was not on board with Agile yet, maybe didn't even understand it, I would not go up to the manager and say, hey, I failed. Look at me. But what I would say is what I experienced last month was I tried this. It didn't work. And here's what I learned from it. Now, the manager isn't seeing the word failure anywhere. Eventually, you can go up and say, I failed. Woohoo! But for now, speak to them in a language that will resonate with them. Be very, again, self-aware, culturally aware, and socially aware.
1: Yeah. But it's also up to the people going through a process like this, I mean, at every level to assess who's in and who's not.
0: Exactly. In fact, one of the things we do in one of our courses is we create a roadmap, uh, an influence roadmap, if you will. And we have them spend the breakout time. They never leave any module until they have next steps established. They're going to do something when they leave if it kills me. So they write out a roadmap that says, who do I want to influence first? Why? Does that person have a lot of influence over here? Who do I want to wait? Who do I want to influence second? Who do I want to bring into my circle of agile for a second, third? And you literally create a map where A goes to B goes to C. It's very strategic. If you attempt to apply any cultural change, Without strategy, chances are pretty slim. You'll get it through to everybody.
1: So you got to figure out who's from Missouri and has to see the the, Absol- the show
0: me state, baby. You got to figure <laughs> out who are the show me's, who are the ones that resonate, because uh, a lot of managers and leaders, what works with them are white papers and case studies, white yeah. papers and case studies. I, I, there's a there's people a actually sub- read those still. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they do. Oh, they're driven by it. Are you kidding? So if you take insights discovery, which is a personal assessment tool, which is one of my favorite personal assessment tools, um, red is I'm just going to do it. That's the energy of red. Yellow is I'm going to make sure everybody's happy. Green is I'm going to create a relationship with everybody before I try to make a change. And blue is I am data driven. Do not come into my office until you have lots and lots of data. The The yellows, they don't like the blues. They're like, I just want everybody to be happy. The blues don't like the yellows. Where is the data? Figure out what your manager is, whoever you're trying to influence, and speak to him in that regard.
2: Oh, so, uh, God, I love this, Ricky. One of the things <laughs> I know, one of the points, because you shared a number of them before we got on, around agile leadership, you talked about the upside down org chart. And I'd really love you to speak to that, because I think so many organizations are either in the old mindset of an org chart, Or, you know, they throw around this word. We have a flat organization.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. What does that actually mean? They go, I don't actually know. They just keep saying it. The org chart, they'll say the org chart looks the same.
0: That's what a flat organization (laughs) looks the
2: same. I don't know what the hell they mean.
0: They mean you're not. Talk
2: about what that means in agile leadership.
0: So um, there's in my podcast, I think podcast three through 12, I actually dramatize the 10 mistakes that Leaders commonly make, even once they've started to embrace Agile. And every one of them is kind of a dramatization of that mistake. Some of them are funny, some of them are silly, but all of them say, you're going to recognize yourself in this, whether you like it or not. And one of those podcasts is about the fact that your organizational chart is upside down. Almost always, when I get to this point in the teaching, somebody from HR, and I always encourage people from HR to be there, do not attempt to do this without HR support. Eventually, it just dies. Dies on the mind. So I encourage HR to be there. But when I get to the thing about your org chart is upside down, they their heads explode. Go, <laughs> we can't change our org chart. We've been living with it for you know a hundred years. So am I implying that you need to change it at the HR level? No. I, I think that there are very valid reasons why the HR level has to have a hierarchy where the senior leaders are quote at the top and the the field people I'll call them are quote at the bottom. Um. What this is talking about is the organizational chart, what as it applies to making key decisions, it applies to making changes, as it applies to, to behaviors that, that are associated with these levels. So, traditional organizational chart who's at the top? CEO, CFO, CIO, whatever it is. Those are always the guys at the girls, ladies, and men at the top. At the bottom is, yeah, I guess you would say, I don't know, maybe your admins, I suppose, although I was an admin for a long time and I would take umbrage. But I would say many org charts would probably have the, the admin as the support staff toward the bottom. And what we say is, first of all, where is the customer on that org chart? Everything about Agile is customer service. Everything. If you're not doing something that's going to improve customer service, you've failed the Agile mindset completely. Mm. It's all about the customer. Interesting. So where's the customer on this? If the customer is not able to make key influences, key decisions, key activities, key desires, key negotiations, then who, who, you're working for yourself? Who are you working for? So, <laughs> so we put the customer at the top. They're the ones who are going to drive everything. We need this. We require this. We want this. We desire this. We need this to look like this. They're driving the boss.
1: And they're not talking to the CEO.
0: They're not talking, And that's the whole point. The CEO doesn't talk to the customers who talks to the customers, the people field people every field. single day. So why are you having uh, a CEO make a key decision when it's the field person who's been talking to the customer all day and the yep. customer says, I need this. And the CEO says, yeah, I'm gonna- they want apples. I, I guess I-, I got oranges. And they're like, wait, boss, <laughs> I've been talking to them all day. They need this. So at the top customer, right? Quote unquote, below the customer the field people who talk to them all day long and they should be self-organized, self-managing. They shouldn't have to ask the CEO if we're going to make this change. It already is built into the org chart below them. That's the middle managers, I guess you'd say. And their job is to support the field guy. What can I do to clear your obstacles? What can I do? I'm not talking to the customer. I'm not going to make decisions without you. Go ahead, Craig, you had a question.
1: Yeah, so I'm just wondering. So when, when you say, okay, they should just go ahead and make that change. That sounds like there, there may be a, an expense related to that, that may need some approval from somebody that has a bigger perspective.
0: We, we at Brain Trust we have a limit on the discretionary decisions that people can make. Okay. So the company's different. If you go to the Ritz-Carlton, their janitorial staff, for example, yeah. have up to $500 that they can spend to make a customer happy. Right and, and it could be I didn't get myself, but I didn't get my whatever it is. They have up to five. anything above that. Yes, you're going to have to go to okay. in a way below in the org chart. Very good point. So what do the middle managers? Do they support those field guys? Get obstacles out of the way. Get resources if necessary. Agree to resources if necessary. Then way down at the bottom is the CEO. The CEO has the vision and they're going to support everybody above them, not the other way around.
2: So so that, right, your your question slash comment, Craig, uh, raised another question for me. It it feels like to me that part of Agile is not just flipping the org chart, but flipping everything. Like in that, what I heard you say, Craig, was, well, don't we have to have limits on it? From the perspective, we probably need some limits versus what if we have come from a place we have no limits and we'll add a couple. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. we're going to literally flip every question. Yeah. Like when you said there was a limit, yeah, the janitor at, at Ritz, $500. That's a, Most people would say, well, how many janitors are there? Oh, probably 10,000 of yeah, them. but they don't do it that much, and they don't spend that much very often if they do spend anything. No, but not, that's not my point. My point is, most people would think that's insane to give a janitor $500. And, and how many organizations in the world do that? Probably less than one half of 1% yeah, have sure. that thinking. I'm saying, it seems to seem to me agile is to flip all the questions.
0: I think, in a way, Every,
2: if you look at like this is the traditional question most companies ask. To me, if you ask that question, you go, "Wait a minute, we're asking the wrong question." I agree. And I would also say around.
0: one of the concerns. Um, and by the way, I think I said janitorial. I was really referring to housekeeping. Forgive me if I said jan- I, they're essentially the same thing. But the, you know, the ones who clean the rooms. Right. Um, I think, ironically, it's difficult for. I'll put it this way. In class, I oftentimes hear, I can't flip all those questions. I can't flip the org chart because I I do not have anywhere near the level of trust I need to give these people that much autonomy. How can I do that? And my answer is always the same. If that's the case, you're not paying enough attention to your hiring process. It mm. all begins in the hiring process. Whatever, if you're using behavior-based interviewing, if you're giving them self-assessment tools, if you're having them do Strength finder, whatever you're doing, you need to find individuals regardless of their experience. One of the other mistakes that, agile, that non-agile leaders make is they look at the resume and if it's missing right. experience, they pass it on.
2: Crazy. So
0: it's not about experience. It's about yeah. fit. It's about yeah. passion. It's about personality. It's about core values. If you hire accordingly, is it going to be 100% of the time? No, but no hiring is accurate 100% of the time. But what that means is you already have a built-in foundation of trust because you built it during the interview process. You already established that connection. You already had a rigorous, I hope, interview process. So at that point, all you have to do is trust the people you hired. That's the whole concept behind Agile. Trust the people you hired. Now, and- that, sounds,
1: that sounds easy, but not everybody, I mean, a lot of managers will come in a lot of leaders will come in with baggage yep. and that baggage is, you know, in this other company, man, I got burned when I trusted this person, you know, yep. blah, 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 blah. And they can carry that in too.
0: And this is, I hear, I hear this a lot too, when it comes to virtual companies, Now, obviously I'm a little biased, <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, I did it for 20 years and 42 employees and $42 million worth of revenue. And they lived across the country. So do I know that remote and virtual employees work? Oh, I do. I also know they worked way more than 40 hours, including right. one lovely lady who constantly worked when she was in labor for all three kids. She oh, was- my God. So I was used to that kind of being able to trust them, but I wow. built it that way. And what I tell people when they say this remote thing makes me very nervous because I can't <laughs> see them. I don't know if I can trust them. And I always say, I got to tell you, you can't track integrity. You cannot track it. You cannot monitor it. If they're sitting in the cubicle next year, you don't know what they're doing. Even if they're at work from eight to five, you have no idea what they were doing on the computer. And for people after the pandemic, they started to put tracking devices on computers so they could see when their employees were at the computer and when they were not. That does nothing to build an agile environment. Quite the contrary. If you think you're able to track someone in terms of their behavior, that means you don't trust them. If you don't trust them, you can't trust them anywhere. Right. get rid of
2: them. Yep. Well, I, I, I'm going to challenge just the last piece of that because what that assumes is that the trust, that, they, that there's a legitimate reason for the lack of trust and they're the wrong person. My experience is a lot of those leaders and managers, the issue is theirs because they Absolutely. don't trust anybody. This is yeah. really about control, but they I label do. it as trust because trust justifies it. They can go to their boss and say, if they say to the boss, "I'm trying to control them," wait a minute. Yeah. I, I don't trust them. Oh well, that's a legitimate question.
0: And so that's yes, what, if that's they're the
2: wrong why, people, let's move them. But that's the why I always flip it
0: on the on the leaders who say that. I always say, "You can't trust them. Why?" And if they give me good reasons why they shouldn't trust them, the conversation's over. They're gone. If yes. they can't give me good reasons why they can't trust them. I will very gently suggest that the issue is theirs and not the.
2: <laughs> well, <Wow>, you're more <laughs> gentle than me.
0: And I am. think he's nice. I do tend nice. kind of to kind of be kind of gentle, but I am also. I, I use some subliminal techniques every now and again.
2: Because
0: so I will. I will do a little bit of backhanded if I have to.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, wow. So, what are some cre like some critical things that we haven't talked about yet that you really think somebody needs to know about agile leadership?
0: Um, I think there's a couple of other mistakes that I'd like to dive into really briefly. Again, there's 10, and we've covered a few of them already, the org chart being one of them. Um, I would say corporations in general, organizations have a tendency to focus their time on the lowest performers.
1: <laughs> we just had this
0: conversation. And it, it's agonizing. Prior
1: podcast, yeah.
0: It's agonizing. Yeah. So PIPs are the norm, right? Performance improvement plans. Personally, I worked in corporations for 20 some years. I never saw one work once. Not one time did I ever see them have a sustainable effect on the employee that was going through the PIP. They either left on their own or eventually they were let go for maybe other reasons, or the same reasons. So what happens with PIPs, number one, they focus on performance. And my, again, I would argue time and time again that if somebody is not giving you what you need, it's not a function of experience or performance. It's a function of fit. If you have customer service as your top core value, and they have getting out of the office at 5 p.m. as their top core value, probably they don't fit. And you're never going to have a PIP that improves that. There's right. no way. It really is related to passion, personality, core values. So if you're going to focus on the lowest performers, number one, it's not going to work. It just isn't. And number two, what happens to your top performers? Right. Eventually, they're going to be like, what am I, chop liver? You don't spend any time with me. You don't collaborate with me. You don't acknowledge me. My morale gets sunk by this individual because they're getting all the attention. So focusing on the lowest performing individuals is just a huge mistake, a hard habit to break, but I will fight to the finish for it.
1: Yep. but I want them to succeed.
0: And that see we take that very personally. And that's what yes. I did as a leader. I've done if it. Someone working for me. I blame myself because I didn't train them enough. I blame myself because I hired them and I wasn't careful enough. I blame myself because they were trying so hard or they were crying or they were upset. I'm the mother, right? I'm the parent. <laughs> I'm supposed to be avoiding all this. It took me a long time to understand what's best for them is most oftentimes to let them go to where they fit better and yep. they will thrive. So you're trying to literally get somebody to thrive in an environment which isn't meant to them to thrive in. So,
1: And it doesn't well, necessarily that's... mean in a different company.
0: No, absolutely not. I, In fact, as the parent, I would oftentimes try to find them a different place within the company. Yep. I'm not trying to punish anyone when I let them right. go, ever. I, I, if anything, I am taking responsibility. Now, what can we do to change this?
2: Well, the question I, I just had to deal with a client with this the other day. And I, I have one or two questions I ask when they say, well, we want to help people improve and all that. And I said, well, two questions. And can you outline for me the check-in progress when someone's on a PIP? <laughs> and 95% of the time, the answer is well, we don't really have that. Yep. Well, and do you have a clear process at the end of the PIP based upon how you assess them? They go, we well, being clear. I go like, well, someone's on a pip for sixty days. What happens after sixty days? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes we don't even deal with it. It just, they, <laughs> like the pip. Just, I said nothing actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Why yeah, do it? Well, exactly. But they're not even thinking about that.
0: Exactly. I, it's really it's an
2: it's, HR process. It's
0: ingrained it's in, it's in the HR. It's not designed world. to help people. Yes. <laughs> that that brings up a point, Craig. It brings up another mistake that leaders tend to do, and that is that. Um, we hold annual performance reviews. Now those are getting better. I'm hearing from students all the time. We're not just relying on annual performance reviews. So yay, not. they're doing a more regular feedback loop, or they say they are. I'm never quite certain because we hold another class called um, um, performance reviews, garnering them, getting them, and giving them. Because nobody likes any of that. So. Whether they're really giving regular loop feedback, I pray that they're telling the truth. I can't be 100% certain. Um, But even if that's the case, we still don't have, we still are talking about performance, performance, performance. And again, I'll argue to the death that most performance related issues have nothing to do with their skill set, their experience, even their desire. It has to do with their fit. So what we do at Brain Trust and at Center for Agile Leadership is we have regular, I'll call them fitness exams, where we list the company's core values. We have a conversation with the employee, and we say, how are you doing on this one? You, 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 you feeling it? You feel like you're doing it? You feel like you're fitting in with it 100% of the time, 50% of the time, never. You can give yourself a minus, a plus, or a zero. You can give yourself a scale of one to five. Now we're talking about fit. Now when we talk, if they have zeros across three of the five core values, they're probably not a good fit. They could be brilliant. They could be the best trainer in the whole world. But in our company, they're not going to be happy. And eventually we're not going to be happy with their whole performance. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's a lot more about core values, core values, core values. And speaking of core values. Ninety nine percent of the time when I teach my courses, I have them write down their organization's core values, their purpose, their mission, mission and their vision. And most of them don't even know the difference between mission, vision and purpose. Most of them don't know their core values, so here they are working in a VUCA environment with no beacon. They have nothing. They have nothing to say. This is if we're going to make a key decision, does it align with our core values? Does it align with our mission? Does it align with our vision, our shared vision? Does it align with our purpose? If it doesn't, you're just willy nilly. You're just failing for no reason. So it's like those, those big are the guys, d-
1: those, those uh, guys on the side of the road with the air things.
0: Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what you're doing. So I cannot stress enough how important it is to have a very collaborative exercise with your teams, and we teach you how to do that in one of our courses, that says what are our core values which are going to drive the mission, drive the purpose, and drive the vision, and what's the difference between those. The vision statement is, we want to be the absolute best in the whole wide world. It's very lofty. The mission and the purpose are much more specific, the how and the and how how you get there and what you do to get there. So, there are really important distinctions and people exist their whole lives and never even pay attention to them. You can't be an agile leader without having those as your beacons. You can't.
2: Oh, that is, I love this. I love this, Ricky. Um, it, it's opened my eyes and we've had some conversations before, but yes, I, I love learning new stuff. And uh, my big takeaway is failure bows. Yes. That is so cool. I'm looking forward to creating that uh, around my own organization but also anybody i know and friends and And,
0: and by the and way the clients. If you do it with your spouse oh she's going to be happy she's going to feel like you are literally being the the one who asserts the failure instead of her or if your spouse is a male the one who always has to point it out so the more you do your own assertive failure bows with your spouses the more they feel like you get me you get why I would think that that was a failure. Thank you for that. So it works really well no, in that.
2: I'm going to go take a bow right after this. I think.
1: I
0: think <laughs> many bows today. Yes. I'm just
2: I'm just looking forward to w- that one day when it finally happens. When I fail at something, then I'll be able to take a bow. Let
0: us know. <laughs> <laughs> We'd all be interested. Okay, Mr.
2: Perfect. <laughs> there we go. I can just bow for that one. Take a bow. Yeah, that's right. So Ricky, thank you for all of this. It's been a pleasure and and good stuff. Uh, Agile leadership, such a New, awesome. but not new concept. Just new, putting, but
0: not new. Mm-hmm.
2: You're, you're just showing us the way. Do we always want to give folks a chance to promote something going on in your world or in your business? What's that for you?
0: So I think, um, I think uh, on the personal level, my turn life coaching that you mentioned earlier, um, I love to have clients and I really do extend many, many of these concepts into leading your own life. Leadership is mm-hmm. leadership. Yeah. So my tagline, my CTA, my call to action is reclaim your life. A lot of these concepts apply. So I would love to see more people check out the website and contact me for your first free session. I also work, as you know, for the Center for Agile Leadership, and we've got tons and tons of courses that talk about everything we just covered. Just go to centerforagileleadership.com. And then lastly, my sister company, Brain Trust Group, also has a website where they teach not just agile leadership courses. But um, they teach all the methodologies we were talking about. So if there are folks out there in IT and want to become a scrum master or a scrum product owner, uh, those classes are available as well. They also offer certified agile leadership courses in addition to the ones that we teach. So lots of stuff out there.
2: Cool. Well, we will put all of that in the show notes. Uh, You mentioned websites, but what's the best way for people to connect with you directly?
0: I would say... um, I would say the website has a a general inquiry form instead of people having to remember my email address because it's really long. I can certainly give it, which is ricky.schwartz at centerforagileadership.com, But that's horrible. And I don't think anybody remember it because Ricky is R-I-K-K-I and because Schwartz is (laughs) S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. It takes me forever to type in all those letters. So I think the most direct route is to probably go to any of the websites we talked about and go to the inquiry form. Just Ooh. make your email RS at. I, if it were only up to me. My CEO <laughs> was not as agile when it came to me. Oh, the uh-oh. Called <laughs> <laughs> out. The nomenclature was the nomenclature was the nomenclature. <laughs>
2: well, all right. Well, we, all, we always like to finish with a couple, of one or two signature questions. In the interest of time, I'm going to pick one. Okay. And I'm going to go with uh, wisdom. What's that one piece of wisdom you want our listeners to leave with?
0: You know, I think I touched on it earlier, but Simon Sinek is very clear to say that leadership is, is a team sport. It's not about your position. It's about what do you want to do? What are you willing to do? And how vulnerable are you willing to make yourself to have others come in and help you? He, I think he gives an example where scuba divers always have a partner in the water. If you want to be a leader, you're going to need a partner in the water. So don't think you can do it all yourself. And if you think along the lines of what we talked about earlier, don't think about power as being positional. Think about it as being influential. Think about forming those connections, forming those relationships, and that, to me, is the only way you can have a relatively guaranteed length of endurable leadership. Life
1: is just better if you have good relationships.
0: It is, and and for a long time, leaders never thought about relationships. Again, <laughs> if you go back to the fifties; nobody cared about relationships.
1: Right. right? It's funny. We had one podcast guest talking about somebody that he was working with. He's like, "Oh." you know, leadership, it it deals with relationships. Um, Okay. So he put, he not being a relational guy himself, he put together a structure. Okay. These are the things that I need to do so that I show people that I actually care about them because I do, but I have to have the structure.
0: Good. And by the way, while I'm on the subject of Simon Sinek, because this was the other question you could have asked Jeff, and I will just go quickly. Simon Sinek is probably one of the best experts on leadership in the world. He has a book called start with why I love the book, but really. Uh, The book is based on his TED Talk called How Great Leaders Inspire Action. Yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. I think, got 50, 53 million views. Right behind him is Brene Brown at 52 million views.
1: Which is also Um, awesome.
0: uh, So if anybody has 20 minutes to change their lives, please listen to Simon Sinek's TED Talk, How Great Leaders Inspire Action. Or sure, it's actually called Start With Why.
2: Yep. Big fan, big, big fan. Well, thank you, Ricky. Thanks for all you bring. And more importantly, thanks for all your work at the center because you're touching leadership, which means you're touching lives every day. So thanks for all you do.
0: Thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure.
2: Yeah,
1: If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth committed leaders who want to connect, engage and grow themselves, their people and their businesses. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to Cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside.